This morning we uh, conclude our study in the, the book of Proverbs. Uh, I, I have been so blessed by the study of this book and, and it has transformed so many of the ways that I look at things. Uh, I, I felt like I knew the book of Proverbs before we began this because I had, have had seasons in my life where I read a proverb every day. But it's something about looking at it as a whole that has, has really given me insight into areas of simpleness that I've, I've been undeveloped or immature in, areas where I've been foolish, where I've been wise in my own eyes. And I, I'm realizing so much that wisdom isn't that you get to the place where you, re, you think you know it all. Wisdom is when you get to the place where you, you realize you have so much more to learn. And so today, I'm going to end on what some might say is a small ending, but yet, if you get it by the end of this time together, if you get it, you'll realize it's, it's the hub of the wheel. It's the central theme that keeps you from wisdom. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at two passages. We're just going to look at one proverb. Proverbs 23, verses 17 and 18. And then we're going to jump over to, to, to the Psalms, to Psalm 73. And we're going to look at how the, this issue plays out in the life of a believer. So let's uh, read God's Word together. I like it when you read out loud with me. So let's read Proverbs and then we'll jump to, to Psalm 73. Let not your heart envy sinners... But continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my foot had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord... When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand and guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So the subject of our our final teaching on, on wisdom is the relationship between envy and wisdom. Now, I've been trying to give you different uh, definitions or descriptions of wisdom from the Scripture. The one I'd like you to grab hold of today is this, that wisdom is the ability and skill to understand, manage, and then redirect the currents of your heart that you have within you, every one of you. You have within you what you believe. Sometimes it only manifests when you're pushed. You have what you really Trust in. Sometimes it's only manifest when life doesn't go your way. You have within you deep, deep commitments. Things you've chosen. Things that you've locked away in the vault. Now, the question is, 
of those beliefs, trust, and commitments, are they worthy of you? Are they worth living for? Will they hold up under pressure? Well, one of the issues is that when the heart is squeezed and when the the heart is revealed when it doesn't want to be revealed, often what is revealed is envy. Now, in the Ten Commandments, envy is spoken as the tenth one. It's the tenth one. You shall not envy. Using the word sometimes covet. You shall not envy. Now, it wasn't that God had nine and He had to figure out a tenth. Just to round it out. He put the tenth because it's crucial to the other nine. Now, Francis Schaeffer is one of the greatest teachers and and Christian writers ever. And he wrote a powerful, wonderful book called True Spirituality. The book transformed my life when I read it. Because you begin to realize it's not about behavior, friends. It's about the internal. It's about the heart. You can fake people with your behavior, but you cannot fool people with your heart. Listen to what Schaefer says about envy. It is an intriguing factor that the last command God gives us in the Ten Commandments, and thus the hub of the whole matter, is not to envy. The end of God's law is that we arrive not at a merely outward behavioral expression, but rather an inward situation. So actually, we break this last commandment, not to envy, before we break any of the others. Anytime that you break one of the other commandments of God, it means you've already broken this commandment to not envy or covet. It also means that anytime we break one of the others, we break this commandment as well. So no matter which of the other ten commandments you break, you break two. The commandment itself... And then this commandment, not to envy. This is the hub of the wheel. What is envy then? Well, Psalm 73, verse 3, talks about the envying that the psalmist had of the arrogant. It says he was envying their prosperity. He was, he was envying their wealth. He even says later he envied that their bodies were healthy and sleek. And he envied their good fortune that they always increased in wealth. And he was really envying that they weren't plagued by the same ills that everybody everybody else had. They lived a charmed life and he envied them. Well, so what does that mean? Well, it means this. Envy is wanting someone else's life. Their body. Their wealth. Their job. Their good fortune. So you see they have something that's better than you. And instead of causing you to rejoice, you weep over what you don't have. But it's not just wanting someone else's life. It's actually coming to the place where we resent them for having it. We begrudge them their lives is what the psalmist says. We're angry about their lives. We're unhappy at their happiness. One of my favorite actors of all time is Sir John Gilgood. Um, he's a, an amazing dramatic actor, but my favorite movie is Arthur with Dudley Moore. I love that movie. And he's, he's amazing in that movie. But, but 
in his biography, he said this. Sir John Gilgood and Sir Lawrence Olivier were contemporaries. And he said this, when Sir Lawrence Olivier played Hamlet and the critics raved and the public just rejoiced over his portrayal, he said, I wept. You understand what that means? He couldn't stand that someone else was getting the praise. That's envy. That's what it is. Now, why is it so important that we should deal with our envy? Well, the first reason, and, and, and this is pretty much true of anything in your life, anything that's hidden is going to hurt you. Anything that's hidden is going to hurt you. You have secrets, they will betray you. And envy is one of those secret things that hides itself more than any of the other sins in our life. None of us really want to believe that we're envious. Now there's a reason for that. A secular writer by the name of uh, Joseph Epstein, he, he wrote a book, he's not a believer, he doesn't even believe in God, but he was asked to be a part of a series on the seven deadly sins, and they gave him the, the, the topic of envy. And so here's what he, he says about envy. He says, tell what you envy and you reveal a great deal about yourself. Envy is one of the few words left in the English language that retains the power to scandalize. He says that if you're called lazy, you can actually kind of find some pleasure in laziness. I mean, there's nothing like a lazy day. If you're called angry, you could say, well, I'm powerful. I mean, there's something incredibly pleasurable about releasing your anger and not worrying about what's going to happen. But envy, he says, envy, he says, can still scandalize us. Most of us, we could sleep decently if accused of these other sins, but it would be seriously distressing if someone comes up to you and says you're envious because it goes directly to your character. All the other sins have disapproval of religion, but do not so thoroughly, so deeply demean, diminish, and disqualify a person. Not the least of its stigmata is the pettiness implicit in envy. It's why we hide it. That's why we play like we don't have it. Because we know it sounds petty. So we call it justice. Or we call it fairness. You will never get justice through resentment. You will never get fairness through bitterness. If, if I could explain it this way. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not believe there's just one pie and that somebody has your peace. Now growing up in some of your families, if you grew up like in my family, there was one pie and you better get your peace. And if you could, you got your sister's piece too. <laughs> See, that's what deprivation does. That's what always feeling like nobody cares about you does. It makes you feel like there's never enough. And it makes you petty. And it makes you to where you can't enjoy that other people have anything. See, it... It's not fair in a sense. We begin to say things like this. It's not fair that those people have this and not me. I resent them for it. I begrudge them for it. Envy hides because it's humiliating. At the bottom of the problems that most of us are having, if we really look and if you believe the Bible, at the bottom of it is your envy. Take, for example, 
that you may have a person at work, a person you work with, or a person you work under, whatever it might be, and they irritate and annoy you. It's very possible that you're irritated and annoyed because they're very much like you and they're getting away with things you don't get away with. Or they got things that you think you deserve, but somehow you didn't get them. It's amazing how the pride of someone else is so apparent, but not our own. Envy makes it to where everything in life has a bitter taste to it. So that it could be that the soured outlook you have on life, the skepticism, the cynicism, is at its root an undealt with root of envy. One of the ways to test, uh, according to some of the writers I respect, it's not, you know, when bad people get their comeuppance. Almost all of us, you know, when you find out somebody who's really bad and they get their comeuppance, I mean, there's something in us that goes, they got what they deserved. Envy is more when someone who you respected, someone you admired, someone who you put on a pedestal, or someone that you lifted up and then, you, and then they fall, and you go, I, secretly I'm comforted by the fact they fall. I know, and I knew, no one could be as good as he seemed to be. That's envy, because you wanted their place. To where your admiration and praise becomes, instead of something good, it becomes something unhealthy and says, they have the adoration and praise that I deserve or that I want, even if I don't deserve it. Now, all of us, I mean, this, this kind of envy can... It can be in anything in your life. It can be in little things or big things. One of my, one of my big issues that's not a big issue, but, but annoys the heck out of me is when people cut in line. I, I remember in high school, you know, standing in this long cafeteria line, and the cool kids got to cut, and I had to wait back. So I think I made a vow, one day I'm going to get those guys back. I became a principal in a high school for about four years. My job was to protect and guard the line. I rejoiced and was glad in the justice of sending them all the way back. Some of them didn't even get their lunch. <laughs> you know, if I'm really honest though, it's because I want to cut. Because I want to skip. I don't want to wait in line. See, it's envy. But I called it justice. And it sours. I was even at an event the other day where people were cutting the line. I, I wanted to put on my principal voice and stay soft, that. <laughs> if you have a root of resentment and you're not dealing with it because you're hiding it, it will come out when you feel that what you're entitled to is no longer given to you. Is no longer available to you. And the problem is, if you have it in one place, it doesn't stay there. It spreads. It spreads. Nothing else reveals us as, pe as petty as envy does. Now, uh, for some reason it's not advancing. Will you advance it for me, Richard? Is it stuck? 
All right, so, ah, there it is. All right. So the second one is because envy sucks the, the joy out of you and the joy out of your life. Look at what Epstein says about this. He says, of the, suddenly, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. Surely it is the one that people are least likely to want to own up to. For to do so is to admit that one is probably ungenerous, mean, small-hearted, so widespread is it, a word for envy, I have read, exists in all known languages. That one is ready to believe it is the sin for which the best argument can be made that it is part of human nature. I have been to cultures where the language did not include the word forgiveness, and yet it had a word for envy. That's how common this idea, this concept is. Now, not only does envy uh, demean you, show you to be lacking in generosity, but it creates in you what I, I heard called and liked, it creates comparative-itis. <laughs> now, I had an experience of this when I was a kid. Uh, Way back in 1964, my father bought his first new car. His very first new car. It was a 64 Ford Falcon powder blue. Okay? It had no air conditioning. It had no heater. It had no radio. It was just a car. That's all it was. It could, it could go. Sometimes it stopped and, and, it, and it could go backwards. But that was it. But my dad was so excited. He had a new car, his first new car. Except a week in, it broke down. So he takes it to the dealership. And the dealership felt so bad about this new car breaking down that they gave him a loaner car. But the loaner car they gave him was a 64 Ford Galaxy 500. It had leather seats, automatic transmission, AM, FM radio, which was like having satellite in those days. We lived in swampy Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It had an air conditioner. We got in that car. We didn't live in our house that week. We just drove everywhere in that car. I mean, it was the only cool place in town. And we listened to FM radio, you know. We were so excited. Then he got a phone call. Your car is ready. And my father, who was so excited about his new car, is depressed for 16 years. Because <laughs> that's how long he had that car. <laughs> and I can still remember his face. I can remember how he felt. He was so downcast. He had a brand new car, but it wasn't a Galaxy 500. There's something about when you live in comparison, you cannot be happy. Envy, friends, is integrated into our culture. Our entire culture runs on envy. There's a person on TV who is beautiful. You're not her. But if you buy her clothes, you'll still not be her. She's 14. Six foot tall. 
has not an ounce of body fat. It still amazes me, and we tap into it, that if you have these white flakes, you will never have true love. Especially if they're on a black sweater. Everything is, everything is geared so that whatever you get, it's not good enough. When you have it brand new, it's the worst day to ever have had it. And we, we tap into that. And it begins to twist us psychologically. Jonathan Edwards said that the, one of the greatest spiritual powers that is underestimated is the power of envy. And then he makes this point that the sin behind every sin is envy. And it began in the garden. That it was envy that created the fall. Because Satan said, did God not tell you? You know, didn't he say to you that if you eat of this, you would have something you didn't have that if you and then he goes. And what he's saying is, if you eat of this, you will have what he has. Before there's ever a behavior that shames you, there's an attitude that betrays you. And the attitude is, it's not good enough. It's not enough. I need more. Now, if I had a long time in the mornings, I would talk to you about the beauty of aspiration. Aspiration is important. It's important for you to have things and say that I want this. And, and God himself makes promises about about shelter, about food, about clothing. He says that, do I not clothe the birds? You know, do I not take care of the birds? Do I not clothe the lilies of the field? How much more of them will I take care of you? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when you look at someone else and you say, why don't I have what they have? When you look at yourself and you go, I don't like who I am. I don't like what I have. I don't like what's been given to me. When that bitterness comes, it does something to you psychologically. As a matter of fact, Epstein says it this way. He says, learn what you envy and you will understand your own heart. Learn what you envy and you'll know who you are. Here's the question. And it, it's one we've said all the, along the way here. What you treasure defines you. What you decide is ultimate defines whether you're bitter, resentful, begrudging, or whether you're full of thankfulness, gratefulness, and energy for the future. What you treasure, what is ultimate to you. And there are many of us who are Christians that we really, if we're honest, we're saying, I treasure God and... You see, anything that you say, and Tim Keller says as well, he says, anything you have decided will make you happy in addition to God. That addition is your true king. Now, what, what I'm saying in, 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 in trying to get you to expose your envy is I'm saying there's something inside of your heart. There's something deep down where you really believe you trust. There's something that you're truly committed to that you believe will make you a real person, that will make you a meaningful person, that will make you a worthwhile person. One of the movies uh, that I loved when I was a young man was Rocky. 
And there's this piece in Rocky where, uh, and I can't do Sylvester Stallone imitations, but, but, uh, but I can still see him talking to Adrian. You know, and, he, and he's right before this huge, this boxing match with uh, Apollo Creed. And he's, he's pouring out his heart. And here's what he says to her. I just want to go the distance. I just want to go the distance. I want to prove to the world that I'm not a bum. In every one of our, our hearts, since you were a little kid, you had something that you said, this will prove to the world that I'm not a bum. Now, you may say it in different ways, but it's basically that. It's saying, I want someone to know I am worth something. I want them to know that I'm worthy of love, that I'm lovable. I want them to know I'm worthy of respect. I want them to know. I want to go the distance because I want them to know I'm not a bum. And see, if anything is your security for not being a bum, that thing goes away the day you get it. The day you win, the day you succeed, that is the last day that that helps you. Any of you who have ever been athletes, you know what I'm talking about. You work so hard for that crown. You work so hard for that goal. You work so hard to win that, that game. And then once it's over, you're like, what now? What now? And life doesn't move ever forward from glory to glory of accepting God. Sometimes the only glory you have was high school. Sometimes the only glory you ever had was college. Everything else is trudging and drudging and everything, all that kind of stuff. And so the idea of envy, of, of pursuing that which would keep you from being a bum has to be something more than just keeping from being a bum. There has to be an ultimate treasure. There has to be something that's bigger than you, better than you, that's unchangeable. Something you can latch on to that will have worth tomorrow just as it has worth today and it had worth yesterday. And the only thing I know that's that way is Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is the God who revealed His name and He says, I am that I am, I will be that I will be. And He could have said, I was that I was. So what do we do with this stuff? Where do we take our envy? Listen, listen to Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. It says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen to me. What I want you to do today is to realize you're an envious people. Any of you that are wrestling with pornography, you're filled with envy. You want something you can't have. And you're willing to have the counterfeit because you can't have it. You don't want what you have. Any of you that are greedy, selfishly ambitious, you're full of envy. At the root of it is envy. It's a belief that somehow if you get what you're ambitious for, you will be satisfied. Let me tell you, you'll still be hungry. The only way to deal with envy, to uproot this root is to take it up. Is to take it up and to say, I give you my dreams. I give you my desires. I mean, look look at this idea of the fear of the Lord. God is bigger than you. 
God is the only thing worth everything you are, everything you have. Here's what the psalmist in 73 said. He said, when I was envy, I was nothing more than a brute. So what is he saying? I was a bum. I was a bum. I wanted that which could not satisfy. Think about this with me. In, verse, in, in chapter uh, of Psalm 63, verse 1. I have seen you. I have beheld you. Your steadfast love is better than life. See, God cannot simply be a concept. He cannot be your morality, your cosmic sheriff. He cannot be your simply your philosopher or your, your theology. He has to be a person. You have to experience Him and you have to have so encountered His love that your heart has melted. That you begin to say, His love is not just a doctrine, it's a reality to me. It's an experience before it's a behavior. That's what this, the psalmist is saying. I have encountered God. And guess what? In both 63 and 73, you know what he found out? He said, I've been a brute. I've been away from God. I forsook God. I was in my envy and my bitterness. But when I turned to God, He had not forsaken me. <laughs> Think about this with me. When the psalmist in his sin and his wretched life turned to God, he found that God had not turned away from him. Jesus, in his perfect life, in his perfect obedience, when he turned to God, when he reached out his hand, he found no hand reaching back to him. Why? Because he became forsaken, so you would never be forsaken. He bore the penalty of your sin, of your envy, of your covetousness, of your pettiness, of your lack of generosity, of your selfishness, of your control, your independence, your stupidity. And when you reach out your hand, you will always find His hand no matter what. He was forsaken so that He never forsakes us. The Father, Jesus says, turned His face away from His Son so that he would never have to turn his face away from you. Let me tell you something. See, the psalmist was believing in a future reality. He was believing though it had not yet happened. We are believing because it has happened. My faith is not a leap into the dark. It is, it is a holding on to a reality. Christ died for my sins. On a real cross, the Father poured out His anger and justice and wrath on a real Jesus. He was forsaken so that I will never be forsaken. And it is unconditional, not conditional. <laughs> and then, see, if you, if you take your envy up, then you can pull down and reach out. Because there's a future. And there's a hope that's not going to be cut off. This isn't all there is. Everything you're experiencing now that gives you pleasure is only a foretaste. The greatest pleasure you have ever had in this life is not even a tenth, not even a hundredth, not even a millionth of what you're going to experience when this earth suit is put off. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish. This isn't the end for us. But have everlasting life. This is only the beginning. But if I live, and I'm not going to be able to be satisfied unless I have this car, or this house, or this job, or this girlfriend, or this boyfriend, or this wife, or this husband, or whatever it might be. If I live that way, I will live in a pettiness of envy. And I will be willing to do all kinds of things. Lie, cheat, steal, cut in line. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Will you stand with me? Does it make sense this morning? You notice that there's two actions today. Okay? Taking it up taking it out so I I feel like there's a prophetic work that goes on when we physically get in alignment with what we're being asked to do in our spirit so I'm going to ask you to take your hands up what do you need to take up are you envying somebody else's marriage are you envying someone else's sex life are you envying someone else's riches somebody else's body Are you envying somebody else's possessions? The only way you're going to get rid of it is to lift your eyes up to what you have. You see, if He is your treasure, no one can take away your treasure. If He is ultimate, if He is the desire of your heart, then you'll never be a bum. You'll go the distance. But if He's not then what you're lifting your hands to is going to burn you. It's going to hurt you. God is not asking you to let go of envy for His sake, but for your sake. It makes you small. It makes you susceptible. It means temptations have a place. Would you say this with me? Lord, I take up my envy, my bitterness, my resentments, My begrudging, I give them to you. You are my future. You are my hope. I trust in you. Now you could take your hands up all week long. In your car. You know, when hopefully when no one's looking too much. You could take it up and you say, because you're going to feel it now. The Spirit's going to convict you. You're going to see where you look and there's sourness. And you're going to look where at things where you say, I will never be happy. And he's going to say, wait a minute. You heard Mike. Okay. Now, now we want to take it out. This isn't all there is for you. This is only the beginning. But here's the thing I want you to do. As your hands reach out, I want you to realize this. Even who you are today is not who you'll be tomorrow. I want you to reach into the future 
In the future, God is already, He's already have already has a relationship with your future self. He knows the end from the beginning. I want you to reach out and pull into your present a fullness of heart, a capacity of character, a hope and a longing that only God can fulfill, and to believe today for who you will be tomorrow. Not just living for today. Not just saying, I can't do this. Oh, it's too hard. No. Reaching out. He's given you a future hope that none can cut off. Not even you. Reach out. Lord, we seal what You're doing both in reaching up and in reaching out into the hope that we have. We choose not to be depressed. We choose not to be discouraged. We choose not to believe we're products of our past only. But we believe in the future promises now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. We have some people who will stay up here and pray with you afterwards. Sometimes this thing of envy, when you really get it, you realize this is where my sourness, this is where my lack of joy, my melancholy, all this comes from this. And it's just good to agree with someone in prayer. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse them of all unrighteousness. If you would, come and just just be real with our prayer ministers this morning. and get, get business done with Jesus. If you want to come as a family, if it's a curse that's been on your family, come on up and, and don't be afraid. But we will see you next week. God bless you. Hug a few people on your way out.